Hello and welcome to the podcast where we talk about creating experimental art in trauma-informed and sustainable ways that support artists, our communities, and the organization as a whole. I'm Molly, and you're listening to Any Other Anythings. intros of who you are as an artist and educator. Lauren, would you like to kick us off? Hello, good evening. I'm Lauren Scott, pronouns she, her, hers. I am a music educator in the Valley. I work with elementary through high school students, and I've been with Graybox for the long haul, like since before we even started in 2014. And it's honestly one of my favorite places to be. And that's about, that's about it. Thanks, Lauren. Lizbeth? Hi, I'm Lizbeth Benge, she, her, hers. Um, I'm teaching in a small liberal arts college in the Midwest. And before this, I was teaching at a large public university in the Valley um, and also do work with communities and people of varying ages. I think the medium that I work in most is in theater. And then with that, I'm also teaching like critical social and political theory. Thank you. And Chris. Hello, uh, my name is Chris Weiss. I am a theater uh, and drama instructor here in the Valley. I currently teach sixth grade through 12th grade all in one day. Yes, it is madness. And um, I have been, I've done work with Graybox, various um, tasks and work with Graybox over the years, a lot of it in education. And I'm very happy to be here. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Cool, thanks all. Um, and I'll add in that um, as an artist, I hang out in kind of the interdisciplinary world of performing arts and uh, visual arts. And then as an educator, uh, I'm an adjunct. And so I've taught at a variety of schools in the Valley. Um, this semester, I'm at two schools and two departments, primarily teaching dance. Uh, at my peak of adjuncting, it was four schools, seven departments, and I was teaching everything from lecture, professional development-based classes to theater, interdisciplinary arts, like you name it. It was, it was a wild semester. Um, and it was the only semester like that, intentionally so. So from the three of you, I'd love to start, like, let's toss out some of the foundational knowledge. Um, start with some of these basics, like how are you defining trauma-informed? How are you defining creative practices? How do you define trauma-informed creative practices? And maybe even how do you define yourself as an educator and or a teacher, whatever hat or role you like to, to be in? Y'all can unmute whenever, whenever you wanna chime in. For me, the like thinking primarily about the the role of teacher and educator, it to me it always comes across it comes to a space of um, how do I work collaboratively with the people in the space? Um, I do my best to to share 
whatever power structures are there and dismantle them, which I think is part of um, trauma-informed work. And um, I do that a lot uh, as just like, for, for me, it's, it's always about how can I create a collaborative space? And like, that is the baseline for any teaching or education for me. Like that is my baseline. That is where I start. Um, and then from there, <clears throat> um, moving into the other things um, with in terms of creative practices, again, it all is based around this collaboration. It's how to work with the people that I'm there with to help them create something that they that matters to them that that they that they care about um <clears throat> and then moving into the trauma-informed part the trauma-informed part for me is all about uh breaking down of power power structures and really looking at everybody as an individual and just being like and what does it mean to be self-aware for me to be self-aware as uh an artist and a teacher in the space of the entire self-awareness of the entire space uh, and also my own personal self-awareness and what can I do to create um, levels of uh, um, self-awareness amongst the uh, students as well. Echoing what Chris said about being aware of those power structures in the classroom is really important to me as well. Um, as a music teacher, I try to demonstrate as much as I can and ask students to demonstrate because that is part of the performing arts and trying to create a space where no matter what wild sounds we might make or funny moves or something silly that might come out of our instrument, um, knowing that we're going to celebrate that and that you know like there's there's always no shame in that like part of learning is making all of those mistakes so when we hear that that kind of like interesting noise we we talk about it like okay how did that happen all right that happens when we do this let's all make that noise and now let's find that adjustment that's going to make that best quality sound um so really trying to create an environment of like everyone is learning and I'm learning and you know that goal of being like that learner among learners like we're all in different like different no uh, zones of what we know and what we feel comfortable with and just naming that that's okay and that everyone is going to need different supports and um, different time um, with each other so for me as far as creating like that trauma-informed practice in the classroom, really challenging myself to meet students where they're at, listening to the music that they listen to, even if I don't like it, and also practicing for myself, not to say, I don't like this, but saying, you know, hey, this isn't what I would normally listen to, but it does X, Y, and Z really well. And actually that relates to this other music we're going to work on. So drawing those like relevant connections between what's important to them and what they might hear in their homes from either grown-ups or the other family, and then drawing it to this like new foreign world of, you know, performing arts and the public school. So it's kind of a, a goal. I will say it is tougher in Zoom school but you know, I try to name every day that like, hey, we're, we're working on this together and some days we're not gonna feel like it and that's okay, like that's normal right now.
My cat has the kitty jitters right now. So if you hear noises about, like everything is all good. Um, so I'm not gonna answer this in a linear fashion because linearity, right? Like straight kind of lines, that's actually like really an oppressive structure. So here goes this kind of winding answer. <laughs> um, yes to what Chris and Lauren have just said. And I think for me, given my own background and training, I, as an educator, am interested in offering different lenses to understand the world that we're living in, right? And so um, I have a PhD in gender studies, which is fundamentally, right, the study of relations of power. And we understand power through different categories such as race, class, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, ability. Um, these are all kinds of, of, like I said, manifestations of power. And so, yeah, what are the varying frames that we understand that power? And like, what are the different reference points for people? Because we are all differentially situated in those systems of power. And so as I'm thinking about what being trauma-informed means, like, yo, we are all works in progress all of the time, both understanding the systems that we live in and like on larger kinds of um, scales, right? And then thinking about like how the everyday is impacted by that and then how we in turn are shaping those things, you know? So really I'm interested in, if I think about the like creative practices part of that, like you know, what are the tools that we possess that are more creative than the systems that oppress us? Because they're there, they exist, right? Like we, we are honoring ourselves in the everyday ways that we just like show up, up and right? There's creativity in that. Um, maybe down to even the way that you're breathing, right? And how you hold space, like in all of that, there's creativity. So I'm just interested in, you know, the different ways that we come together in, I'm thinking about this like space-time body minds. So that's like a term that I started to use because when we talk about the body that feels really incomplete to me and like body mind kind of exists together, but then we're located in particular space and time. So all of that together um, is really how I'm thinking about trauma-informed creative practices and education together and how that comes together, right? So if we're thinking about um, trauma, I think a lot of the discussions that I'm privy to, right? There's like an emphasis on the body, but then that's completely divorced from how the body relates to both space and time, right? The way that you think, like we are not, we don't have bodies, like we are bodies and the body is more than just this thing. So again, like a complete kind of unpacking of that um, in some really cool and interesting ways. And like Lauren was saying, like, let's ask questions. Let's make these like weird connections among things, right? And they're actually like not so weird because everything is connected, but let's figure out what those things are. And as Chris has said, like, again, and then how is all of that situated in, in power? Um, 
because power can be progressive and it can also be really regressive. So what do we do with that? Thank you all for, for right? Like need a minute to recover from that, Elizabeth. Thank you. Um, and, and I'm going to borrow and credit with proper citations, space, time, body, mind. Um, and yes, and you can see in the chat as well. <laughs> um, I love that all three of you brought up power like right away. Um, and I think when we think about classrooms and when we think about maybe, actually let's go with this. In your own education as teachers, um, what were the conversations that were happening around power or about trauma or any of that existing in your classrooms in the future? There weren't any. Yeah, I, I want to jump in on that one so fast. Oh my goodness. Um, in undergrad, it just didn't happen. We had a whole single day in practicum where we were like, today's diversity day and we're gonna have those big tough conversations. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it a day. It should be every day, but that's okay. I'll take the one day. And the whole theme of it was like, did you know that maybe some of your students might not be the same as you? And I was like, wow, okay, um, not helpful. But I appreciated that they were trying based on you know the educations that they had and then moving forward, like, you get out of college and your world changes. And you know, what do you do with that once you're already like doing things the way you've been doing them? Um, not everyone adapts as easily as you know, maybe we do and that's okay. Like everyone moves at their own pace. But I will say in my graduate schooling, same university, it has been such a beautiful and wholehearted reflection on what it means to be a culturally responsive teacher and to validate students and their experiences and try and give voice to the people in your classroom and like help them use their words and you know help them understand that their story is just as whole and beautiful and worthy as anyone else in that room or on this planet of earth um, so it's been a really, really fantastic experience. And we've talked about, you know, power and what does it mean to be a direct teacher versus like handing things over to the students in a way that helps them feel successful and helps them deal with failures. Um, so I just, I just want to like give a shout out to the, the college experience because it, it really has improved. And these are the same professors as before, like growing and helping us grow. And it's just been really nourishing this whole time. That's fantastic. I'd love to jump in with some of that. Like I didn't really have, even, even as a student, right? Nothing ever was really brought up about any sort of trauma related stuff, power structures. It was always an understanding of teacher power. I don't have power. I'm the student. Great. Uh, and the thing that I always come up against um, that I really didn't like was always the, the, the reasoning of it because I said so, because I'm the teacher, which I always hated. I deeply hate that. Like I hate it with all of my soul. And um, 
undergrad, I didn't do any sort of traditional like education for teaching. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't really, so like undergrad, those weren't things that I was really thinking about, not until I got to grad school where actually, again, it was incredibly, I think, trauma informed without really saying those words, but really going through that, looking at culturally responsive teaching and artistry and all that. But like the things that, this idea of how to create a space in which these young people in which their voices can be elevated, right? And talking about like, you know, and, and, and that to me is like the, the, the really big thing. It's like, what does that look like? And, and I had students, like I have students ask me questions all the time and there are a couple that never stop and that's okay. And I encourage it actually, I encourage it all the time because I think it's important that the questions are, are, are asked and that, that I don't want them to feel bad for asking questions. And I think that's an important thing to do. And, we had a discussion about like how I will always, regardless of how and how maybe stressed I am during the day or how, how, how frustrated I might be answering the same, the same question, like the 30th time, I will always try to give them a full, honest, direct answer because I, I don't believe in, in just using my place of power as the answer. Cause I think that is used all the time. And I, I refuse to do that. Um, and it's something that I think I have gotten a lot of mileage out of it. And I think the students respond to that very, very well. Um, and that, that, that's just a very important, I think, practice that is exhausting. Uh, but ultimately, I think incredibly um, helpful and, and really goes a long way in my experience. You know, uh, in listening to you to speak and reflecting on my own experience, like somehow have gone through like 11 years of higher ed without ever having to take a course on pedagogy, without ever having to take anything, right, about these like foundational things. So I'm like, well, how did I, how did I learn this, you know? And it's like, well, dang, I did have kind of a crappy life growing up so that like cultivated some compassion in me um and and really it was about making a lot of mistakes and having to just like sometimes you know they all hit differently sometimes I can realize like oh I made a mistake and other times it's far beyond that point where I realize like oh actually that that didn't work and I probably caused some harm there you know and it's also been just going to a lot of things going to a lot of workshops going to a lot of different lectures seeing different shows just being involved in the community in different ways where I get to see other people facilitate and then also take note of like how am I feeling about this I went to um a training through like opportunities for youth. And it was about trauma informed care and like how to provide it as a direct kind of practitioner. So it was a lot of like social workers in the room with me and they kept showing these really uh, traumatic kinds of videos about people just disclosing all sorts of things. And they're like, oh, well, when this happens, you know, let's role play and what are you gonna ask the person? And I was like, I am so activated right now like why isn't this session being led in a trauma-informed way for us like what you know and so I would just have to say 
that a lot of it is drawn from personal experience for me and like, okay, what have I done? Which has been to like use art to kind of work through these things and to give myself an aesthetic distance from my own trauma. And then to just be critical and reflexive about what it is that, that I am kind of in relationship to and with. And that's where like the critical theory kind of background has helped me come to what maybe some practice-based things might have in another realm. Thanks all. I know that was like kind of a tangent out of left field, but I was just wondering, because I feel like there's been such a taboo for so long um, talking about trauma. It's like, oh, it's the T word. We don't talk about the thing, but it's like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and I think the trauma informed pedagogy or culturally responsive or decolonizing our curriculum, like that was, it was kind of underground a few years ago. And now it's becoming more and more common to talk about or the taboos going away or something. There's been a real change. Um, and I think it's been accelerated in the past six months. So I was just wondering if that was something that that had happened before for all of you. Um, and Lizbeth, similarly, lots of, lots of time in higher ed and very little, very, very little um, work around pedagogy. So I, I do feel like this is something where, right? I feel like it's something where we're like drawn towards this work um, and and we've just kind of followed it on our own um, and sought it out in various ways. And going back to where I was before I pivoted, um, power and, and the discussion around power and as educators, traditionally, that is the, the power position, right? You're at the front of the classroom. Um, so what are some of the things that you're thinking about in that role and and to work with through power um, in in the systems that we we are existing in right now i try to like de i try to like use the physical environment to remove power or, or at the very least demonstrate uh, a physical structure that where power is minimized. I try that. That's something I attempt to do. Um, it's very difficult right now. My my place of employment just started hybrid learning. Um, for example, one class I have three students in physically in the class. The rest of them are on. Um, you know, on the computer and their voices are piped in through a speaker. Um, and so normally I would have everybody sit on the floor in a circle. I sometimes would walk around and then I'm like, oh, I'm walking around, I'm taller than everybody, I'm using my power, I gotta stop that. And then I'm like, I don't wanna sit on the floor, my knees hurt, you know. Uh, but like thinking of things like that, of just like, well, what is, what is it like, how, like comfort doesn't matter in that way. And make sure that I'm demonstrating this with them and in it with them and holding holding that space with them. But like the first thing I always go to is always how can I physically do that? And how does you and how do you do that when you don't have a physical space? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. It's weird. But yeah, that's that's immediately where, where my brain goes.
I've started doing my syllabi a lot differently. So generally there's a very regimented kind of rigid structure, like here's your course description, here's where we meet, you know, these are my office hours, blah, 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 whoop-de-woo, here's your schedule. I've instead started making, you know, and, and, and we'll see how this lands with people, but it's what feels right to me for now. I've started making these like long kind of narrative syllabi where I talk about, hey, this is, this is how I came to teach this. This is why we're learning these things. This is why I've curated this term in this particular way. I read this book four years ago and this chapter changed my life. So I thought, cool, let's see how it works in this context. So I just am attempting to be more transparent about things and to like throw away structures that just don't work for me. And I'm, I'm not going to care. I'm going to take that risk. Like if someone wants to tell me this makes no sense, okay, that's fine. It makes sense to me. I'm sure it makes sense to other people too, you know, and like finding, okay, if it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to wholesale ride that off, right? I can still present things in a different manner for folks, but really, yeah, what are we doing? Why and how? I'm just trying to offer that as upfront to people in as many different ways as I can and as I know how. Lisbeth, I just want to name that I really wish I could take one of your classes because <laughs> it just sounds like such a like such a supportive experience for the student. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, with power, I, I'm working on my graduate degree, my master's in music education right now um, while teaching full-time. And my students know I go to school at night and then they'll ask me like, Miss Scott, what are you doing in class? And because I ask them what they do in their other classes. And it's just kind of my way to keep tabs on like, oh, you have two big projects in your other class. Like I better not put my test this week. I try to be uh, like respectful of like the other stuff they have going on. Like I'm not the only class they go to in a day. And so when I, we just finished reading like a, like a big uh, set of chapters on like power and democracy in the classroom. And um, one of the ideas was that teaching is inherently oppressive because we're, we're just like spitting out all this information and they're taking it in and they have all these rules to follow at school and like the bell rings and you get up and you go to another room and like you're always, you're always doing what you're told to do without being told. And I was trying to explain this to one of my classes and they're looking at me like the Miss Scott like you're not oppressing us and I'm like no but really believe me like I am and they're like no Miss Scott theater is fun and I'm like but no really I and like and they're like mm -mm, theater is fun like this is not oppressive <laughs> so it's interesting just to see like their perspective on it and you know getting to check in with each of my classes um we meet via zoom right now and every day I ask them like a kid friendly, would you rather, or one of those medium talk questions like, um, where would you go back in time and why and stuff like that. And they, I find that they log in early because they want to know what the question is. And I just like, they have such wonderful responses. And 
Uh, today, I was kind of surveying some students uh, via Google form on like, okay, you know, how is the coronavirus pandemic affecting teen health? Because we had like an article we were reading for our AVID work. And so many of the students said things like, oh, well, it's weird because it's different, but I found out how funny my dad is, or like my family started going for walks together, or like, honestly, um, I miss school, but this is nice because I don't have to deal with the drama or like I made better friends out of in person because I'm really shy. Stuff like that, that I just was so like I had the goosebumps on my arms because of how resilient and wonderful these humans are. Um, and I just think like what an honor it is power in my life because everything I do, I want to do to support them. Yeah, I wanted to jump off um, some of what you're both saying, this, this idea of, of, um, of transparency. Um, I have always noticed, I always, I'm like super transparent with my students, sometimes like stupidly so. And like, I'm like, in the way of just, it's like ridiculously transparent. I feel like I'm betraying other adults by being so transparent. By like, I'm like, I say that, that I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I have all the answers and I never will. You know, and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, of course. I go, I, I'm more interested in what you think and why you think it and how we can work together on stuff. I go, honestly, a lot of adults don't know this either. Don't tell them I told you that. Um, you know, like just, just blatantly having, trying to have just very honest interactions and discussions and, and experiences about like, and just being like, yeah, I don't know this and I'm gonna mess up too. And that's okay. And normal, normalizing, trying to normalize not being perfect in a culture that is, at least the culture I'm in, I'm in a very high pressure school um, <clears throat> where that if kids get below like a 95, they freak out. That's just the culture. Um, and so really try do what I can to, 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 to normalize, normalize, you know, being a human being as much as possible. Yeah, thank you all. Um, it's like apologies to K through 12 teachers, but I definitely have been, um, supporting some unlearning in, in, with the high schoolers that I work with. Um, and, and we were going through like, there are, there are multiple ways to do research and, um, sharing some more efficient ways. And they're like, my teacher didn't tell me about this. I'm like, oops. Um. Well, it, it exists. There are other ways. There's more than, there's more than one way to do something. Um, and like discovering what every body of students that I, I, I work with each semester, like what are they bringing in? Um, and, and definitely having to work with them. The perfectionism is another one that I, I come up against a lot. Um, and holding that like perfectionism can be a trauma response. So I try really hard to, and also as like someone who's, that's definitely one of mine. Um, I try really hard to also make sure that I'm holding that space of like, it's okay to be perfect and it's okay to earn an A because I do some self-grading stuff. You can, you can say you deserve an A because you did your best. And maybe your best this week looked different than last week. And that's also okay. Um, 
and and so kind of like with that like the creating the spaces creating these learning environments um that that y'all are in what are some of the tools what are some of the practices or approaches that you're using to create those spaces one of the things that one of the assignments that like I'm doing in all of my classes is just an assignment about something you love you know like I just want people to hold on to something I'm asking them it could be one sentence from 60 pages of reading, like whatever. It could be, you know, the like outfit that someone wore in the YouTube video we watched. Like, it doesn't matter. I want people to latch onto something they love. And then I just ask them to explore it. Where does it show up in other places? How, how do you see this connecting to other things? You know, if it is that outfit, did you see someone else wear it? Who's it designed by? Where did that person come from? Who else has worn it? what kind of materials it made out of just all of the things that get us into a deeper dive that people can um feel perhaps safe enough right to to just explore in a way and like this is generative i found for both myself and others because the idea of compersion that's where you garner pleasure from someone else's pleasure and i am definitely that person so when i get to witness the things that people love like that makes me happy and so grading doesn't feel like this huge undertaking and in that way too like there's something to latch on to that isn't the everyday trauma, frankly, of the moment that we're living in, have been living in, will continue to live in, you know? And that's but like one example that I can provide for you. Um, something that I do is what part of what Lauren was talking about earlier is that the questions, like the daily questions. Online, they had been weekly, but now they have shifted to daily. Today, it was a question with all of my classes about if you could make an, an, uh, an invention right now, what would you call it and what would it do? You know, and got some of the best, most ridiculous things like uh, ever. And they were, they were just delightful. The, the one of the most interesting ones that I thought of, the, the student thought of was like, a way to transport to somebody using a data connection so they could specifically hug friends from the internet that they've never met in person, which I just loved. I thought that was just so heartwarming. Um, that and, and, and a, ch a check-in, but that's part of the check-in process. I always do a check-in process um, specifically about, um, you know, how the kids are feeling based on a, a color of red, blue, or green. Um, <clears throat> which is uh, connected to the nervous system. And then they get to kind of pepper it in and create different versions of it there. But it's always an interesting way to check in. So it gives me uh, an idea of how they're all feeling and I'll, I can better navigate the space. But it also like, and I only give them three options. They though make them, they like take all of them and like, I am red, I'm blue, I'm green with a little bit of chartreuse and a pizza. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and I'm like, great. You know, and moving on. 
I always ask them to explain it. I'm like, where does that fall on the spectrum? I go, well, it falls here. I'm like, cool. Um, one thing I tried to like, oh no, my internet is unstable. If you want, Lauren, you can turn your video off and that might support your audio. All right, can you hear me all right? Oh, thank you. I love the thumbs up. That's like, that fuels me. So one thing that I've been doing in Zoom school is our first week, I just had everyone send me an email. And that was like the only assignment, like the only thing that I did with the students. And every day I went over, hey, here's how you log into your student email. And we're going to open a tab in Google Chrome. And we're going to click these nine dots. And we're going to click this. And then here's my e And that was it. And even by the end of the week, I did not get an email from every student. And I was like, that's OK. And I've been trying to post less grades and email students more. And, you know, if they turn something in, I try to take the time to write to them and say, like, hey, I noticed when we did this activity, you started talking about this. And that's really cool. Like, I don't know anything about that. Or, oh, that's really awesome that you think so highly of so and so, you know, and that you think that their strength is knowing a lot about knitting and being super funny. Um, just trying to like really show them that I'm like reading their work and responding to that. And it takes forever. Oh yeah, it takes like so long. It's so much of my day, but getting to build like those positive connections with students, they get a message from me and it's not asking them for like any missing work or like telling them that they didn't get to class or something like that, but just you know, that genuine trying to take an interest in their interests. And honestly, I have gotten more back and forth emails from students who show up every day and never turn anything in. And they don't show up for their other classes, but they'll be like, why are you so energetic all the time? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not like, <laughs> it's the nervousness. Um, and like, I've gotten to learn more about the students just from emailing them. And, you know, I might try to be a, a, I think like in past years, I would have been more picky about format and like, you have to start with a salutation and end with your name and this and that, but they use email like text and it, it really annoys me. And I just accept it because like, that's not something that really matters right now. I love to hear from them and, you know, they'll let me know like, hey, uh, today's kind of rough. Can I have an extra day on this assignment? And I'm just thrilled that they're letting me know ahead of time. Like, that's exciting. That's a victory for me. Um, so that's been my, my practice during this first quarter where everyone's been online. And I'm just really excited about like how much I'm hearing from students. And again, like, doesn't mean they're turning in their work but I'll take it like that's still a victory. And that's still something I get to write home to their grownups, whether that be a legal guardian or dad or mom and just say, you know what? You have a really awesome kid and they're kind or they're thoughtful or, you know, they're really respectful or they make everyone feel welcome because I think everyone really needs to hear like something good about someone in their life right now. 
Thank you, Lauren. Um, that was like so much warm and fuzzy um, with, with your story. So thank you. Um, for our live audience, if any of you all have any questions, feel free to add them into the chat or if you'd like to unmute and ask, you're welcome to. Um, and for while we're waiting for perhaps questions to pop up, um, is there anything that Lauren, Lisbeth, Chris, you'd like to add or any leftover thoughts from all of that? I really want to share just one more interaction I had with a student who asked me about quitting band and they're like, hey, this isn't fun. And I'm like, at first my heart started racing because I was like, no, please don't quit. Like we need you. And I thought about it and my email response to that, it took me like two days to write back to them because I didn't know how to word it. And I just told them, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. It's not as fun. Like it is playing by yourself in your own home and we don't get to hear each other. Or like, you know, in the case of theater, like we don't get to, you know, play games in the same way we do or like put a script together or even create with each other. And I'm like, and it's okay that it's not as fun. And I'm like, and it's okay that you don't even feel like you wanna do this right now. Um, and so I instead offered, I'm like, while you don't feel good about this right now, and maybe you feel like a little lonely, like click on any of those videos in our class and know that they're there for you. That like when you don't feel strong enough to keep logging into Zoom school and turning in your Google Classroom assignments and answering all your emails and writing stuff down in your agenda and making your list of homework, know that you can ask any of us because we're on your team. And when you don't feel strong enough, we're here to make up the difference. That makes me think a little bit about, um, I, I, at least it, it reminds me of, of I think a, a lens that I like to think about this work through generally is this idea of being a steward for the students, how to like, create a space, create a space with them and sort of hold that space for them. And not, it's not mine, it's theirs. And it's for them in, in all the ways that I want it to be. And I hope, I hope it is useful for them, but that way of like, what does it mean to be a steward for these humans and in this space and, and, and for this space, for these humans to, to have this creative experience in. And that's that 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 to me has always been a very grounding, guiding lens that I tend to use a lot. I don't. I very rarely talk about it, but it's really present. Um, and it, I, I find it. And 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 Lauren, what you were describing feels like a a very specific manifestation of that idea in my brain. Um, so yeah, just wanted to say that. I'm thinking about structure still and like um, just how 
how much I appreciate it in the transparency and the structure. For example, um, letting people know if, if, if they're going to be in breakout rooms, like, hey, you will be in a breakout room with four people for five minutes, and then we're going to come back here. And again, just those transparencies in, in that way. Um, I try to spend a lot of time doing that. One, because it helps me be accountable for what's happening as well, because uh, time, time is fake but its effects are real and like time can just get away from me. And you know, like, I don't wanna drag people along for that. Like they didn't sign up for that, but what did they sign up for? Like, let me be explicit about that. Um, so in thinking about doing kind of trauma-informed work, yeah, just, just trying to let people know what they're gonna do and like, you know, proposing options and whatnot and just like, time. And Molly, you've brought this up before, like recognizing where, where you can, you can ask for support. So I can ask for someone else to help me keep time. Like, hey, can you set the timer for five minutes and let me know, you know, and, and kind of relieve myself from what might feel kind of burdensome, because um, I attempt to demonstrate for people like, hey, this is, this is what it can look like when, when we are who we are in the world you know, and it is my very strong belief that like me being who I am supposed to be in the world, whatever that looks like, whatever the color my hair is, the like art on my body, what I wear, what I believe, all those things, like that's helping put things into right relationships so that other people can be who they are supposed to be, you know, like that is so just like to me that like you can be who you are meant to be. And like witnessing other people, this is why I get off on the compersion stuff and like finding pleasure in other people's pleasure. I'm like, oh yeah, that's putting you in alignment with something. If you enjoy that, if that's bringing joy to your world. Okay, I might not agree with it, but like, okay, I can see that. I can understand joy and pleasure. Um, so yeah, I just want to add that. Thank you. And thank you, Veronica. Thank you, Lizbeth. Um, and that, that kind of like leads, like, I like where you're going, we're going to lead to that as kind of a wrap up of, um, like by you leading wholeheartedly with who you are, your full authentic self on board at the front of the classroom, um, and allowing that to be a way that others can hopefully also align with themselves, um, I think so often we're we're not supposed to be teacher centered. We are student centered in all the work that we do. And if we don't take time to take care of ourselves and to be who we are in the classroom, then is that really doing anyone a service? Um, so I'd like to have maybe the final question tonight be, what do you do for yourselves in your classrooms? This is a really literal something I do for myself in my classroom. Um, when we were together on Fridays, every now and then, um, I would ask the students if they just wanted to lay down for two minutes. And we would just do that. We would just lay on the floor for two minutes and I would turn the lights off. And one time um, my evaluator walked in to evaluate and we were just all on the floor. And I still have my job. 
so it's okay. Um, and the kids always look forward to that and they always get up and they're like, oh, I feel so good after that. Or like my back hurt or like, mm, I've relaxed. Like it's a very positive thing. And it's a very literal, like just two minutes. Everyone's got that. Like that's two red lights. That's like a YouTube ad. Um, so the version of that in Zoom school is uh, putting the palms of your hands over your eyes just for like a little bit like if you're just done with your work something I don't know what it is something about like the gentle pressure right there I saw them do it on an alligator on like animal planet and they're like this calms them down and I tried it and I was like oh ho, 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 reptile brain it is like it's really nice so when I say like when students get done with their work I'm like you can you can just put your your eyes and the palms of your hands for a little bit and take a rest. And a lot of them take me up on it. I don't know if it's literally doing anything positive, but it seems to be. I'm gonna use that tomorrow. I'll let you know how it goes. I think what I do for myself is um, two things, a really like concrete thing. I, I wear whatever I want. I wear whatever I want. And that means I wear a crop top and some high-waisted jeans or like, like something showing that does not read professional, you know, and like, I don't care. Um, and so, that's one concrete tangible thing I do for myself. And I understand that these options are not available to everyone equitably, right? Like me doing that is very different than someone else, right? Who is like of a different skin color and gender and so on and so forth. Like I totally get this, but I also, right? When I do this, I try and break it down for people. Like I am wearing what I want and you are also gonna respect anyone and everyone else wearing whatever they want um, and try and like break that down. But there's that. And I just, yeah, I, I, I try and own where I'm coming from and let them know like, hey, you, you're probably gonna hear the like same three things out of me for however long we're together, whether it's for 10 weeks, 16 weeks, an entire year, like in different language and in different ways, you're gonna hear about abolition, you're gonna hear about foster care and you're gonna hear about intersectional women of color feminisms. Like I might not ever say those words to you, but that's what you're gonna get. So uh, that's what I do for me. That's like this, this topic is one of my biggest struggles. Always has been and I think always will be. Um, some of the things I, I that I I and I don't know if I say I I do these things, but I let things happen. Sometimes that sort of energize. I think of these moments of energizing me, like allowing certain discussions of transparency. I really like. I think because for me that that tends to be a a, a place of human connection. In a place of multi-generational connection where like these these kids are i'm so much older than them but then it becomes this way of like oh i'm a human being and they're a human being and we're having a, an honest kind of conversation about that like I, like that and i think in the same way i also allow tangents to happen in discussions because i feel like tangents even though they're off topic 
usually are about, I mean, they're because somebody's engaged with the, the topic in a way that makes them think about something else. And I like to allow that just to kind of play out. And that may mean I'm set back a class or something and that's fine, I can deal with that. But I, I like those things to happen and that, th those moments energize me in, in, in the classroom. Um, which I, I really like. And, and, I, I, and to me, that is a way of, of kind of filling up my cup in that space. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, 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 it's just this, it's just this, this, you know, and it's like, and those are the moments that I get most excited about. And when I get excited, I feel energized. And so it's just like, like I try to sense when those happen and try to let them organically happen, even if it's not good teaching, if that makes any sense. And that's, I'm like, yeah, who needs that? Boring. Um, yeah. So the, I think those, I think those are things that I do in the moment to try to take care of myself. Cause I know that after those things happen, if a, if a tricky situation comes up, I definitely feel more grounded because I feel more energized and the connection just happened. So I, I feel more grounded and, and, and um, ready to potentially um, tackle an unexpected stressful situation. Yeah, thank you all. Um, I really appreciate, and I think we need to normalize to a certain extent talking about what we're doing in our classrooms to take care of ourselves. Uh, so that we can get through the hours of grading, um, so that we can move the field forward um, as a whole and, and take on some of these new, new radical approaches. I'm using air quotes because I didn't think they were very radical until I started picking fights with other educators on Facebook. Um, and then I discovered I'm a very radical teacher. Um, so... <laughs> I, I appreciate being in, in good company with that. Um, and Chris bringing up grounding uh, makes me realize I said that we would do grounding at the top of this and then um, didn't. So I, I'd like to end with an offering of, I don't know if I'd call this grounding per se, probably more in like the centering world of it all, um, but offer up a little, little eye movement um, since we all are kind of stuck in this like sagittal plane right now, looking forward. Um, I thought I'd offer some, some little movement of the eye. So head stays forward, shoulders can stay forward. Um, and you can maybe look over your screen or you could even like lower your screen if you wanted to. And keeping your head forward, just move your eyes as far to your right as possible. And then imagine there's a little ladybug wherever you're looking or whatever kind of insect you think is cute. Uh, and that ladybug's slowly going to take a walk across the wall or whatever you're looking at and make its way over to the left as far as you can see. There's a little ladybug marching across. And then you can come back to center. And now the ladybug is as high above you as you can see, still keeping your head where it is, looking up as high as you can, there's the ladybug again, and it's slowly gonna walk down whatever's in front of you. And you follow it with your eyes until you're looking completely down. Maybe you see your nose as you look down, just the eyes. And then take your eyes in a big circle. The ladybug's gonna go in a giant circle 
all around your periphery. And maybe it's clockwise or counterclockwise, but it's a slow circle. And then you can come back to center. And so our eyes are connected to our vagus nerve. That's part of the reason the palming thing, Lauren, um, might be satisfying. It's something that actually Sarah and I talked about last night um, to, to just start to bring some stillness because if the eyes are darting, then we kick in the sympathetic. It's a very adventurous little bug, yes. Um, <laughs> if the eyes are darting, then our sympathetic nervous system kicks in and yada, yada. Anyways, yes, yes. Um, to Lauren, Lizette, and Chris, thank you so much for sharing this evening. Uh, to our live audience, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us. Um, you can follow Graybox Collective on Instagram and, and on Facebook um, and check out our website. Uh, starting this Thursday, Chris, Sarah, and I start a three-week workshop series um, about the applications of trauma-informed creative practices. Uh, and we have more events like that coming up throughout the season. We have a store opening, an online store opening in October. The podcast launches in November. So it's a full fall. And at some point we'll have shows again too. So stay tuned for those. Ooh, weird. All right. All right, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Get some rest. See you all next time.